Hey everyone, uh, welcome to church tonight. Uh, guys, how are you going with numbers? Um, I, I just sort of, I've just been on holidays, I went away for a couple of weeks, so I kind of just went, um, Aaron and, I mean, Michael and um, Josiah, numbers, and then I ran for the door, and uh, they've done a wonderful job, is what I hear, all the feedback from people, so I'm feeling the pressure of uh, following these guys' footsteps. Uh, I wonder if you've ever had a lucky charm. Um, a friend of my dad's neighbour is a real gambler. Um, my mum's uh, my mum's name is Babs, and this guy came over and he said, "Oh, I want to tell you about. It. I found a horse. The horse's name is All About Babs, and that's your name, and you're my neighbour. And so it's a sign. You're like a lucky charm, and I'm going to bet every time on All About Babs." And um, it won the first race that he bet on. So he's like, ah, oh, it's a sign, it's a sign, you're my lucky charm. Um, and you think, oh, isn't that silly? I mean, lucky charms, that don't really work. We all know that, don't we? Uh, we live in a secular age, and secularism means, uh, secular means of this age, of this realm. There's nothing beyond it. Uh, there is no God, there is no spirituality. And isn't it wonderful in a secular age, it's just pure scientific rationalism, except that's not what's happened. Uh, people are actually really interested in spirituality. Uh, they're really interested in uh, blessings and curses and how do you receive blessings and, and how do you ward off cursing in your life? Um, you, you go home and Google crystals. Uh, <laughs> a friend of mine gave her testimony. Uh, she's from the church I used to be at down in Sydney. She became a Christian at that time. And uh, I didn't know, actually, she became a Christian, and how deeply she was into crystals at the time. You wear this one here, and you have one tucked in your pocket, and you have this one hanging in a certain position on your home, and it's all about warding off bad forces and curses and receiving blessing in other parts of your life. And uh, you have the right stone in the right place and all the rest of it. And, and kind of on that view, life is full of blessings and curses. It's full of fears. And what you need to do is find that the right stone, the right guru, the right technique uh, to find blessing in your life. And you know what? Everything old is, is new again. Because here we go back thousands of years into the book of Numbers and we find a king who is gripped by fear and is seeking blessing. And there's great wisdom in this passage for us as well. So you've got to be in Numbers. We just read Revelation, so... Go all the way back to Numbers, and, um, and we're going to kick off in chapter 22. Uh, last week we left Israel still wandering in the desert, kind of their 40-year uh, lap of shame for refusing to trust God and enter the promised land when they were supposed to. And uh, we've seen through this period, as we've just kind of dipped into it a little bit, there's this repeated cycle of the people's failure or rebellion, and God judges them. Um, but then there's grace and mercy. Uh, so failure or sin, God takes sin seriously, but then he maintains his faithfulness to his promises. And, um, and here we jump into chapter 22, a king in fear. Uh, verse 1, we read this a few moments ago, and we see that Israel, just have a look there in verse 1, they're on the plains of Moab. And it's beyond the Jordan at Jericho. If you know the story, Jericho is the first city they're going to take when they enter the promised land. So it's like, oh man, after everything that's happened, this is really great. Now we're back and we're on the threshold of the promised land. And uh, you can look in verse 5. They are a people who cover the face of the earth. 
So they're there in great number. And this is a reflection of God's faithfulness. And uh, this is what the king of Moab, a guy named Balak, sees. And uh, he sees him and he's filled with fear. The word in verse 3, behind fear, uh, he was filled with great dread. It's the sort of fear that makes you vomit and makes you chuck up. That's just, he sees these people and he's just totally freaked out by this sea of people that's camped on the edge of his kingdom. Uh, He thinks they're coming to get him. And uh, Balak goes to see a guy named Balaam. Uh, It sends for a seer. He's a seer. He's a seer. He's meant to see things that other people can't see. He's a diviner. Um, And he goes to him not just because he wants to see uh, what's going to happen in the future, um, but look at verse 6. It's in chapter 22. He says, Perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them from the land, for I know that you, Balaam, for I know that he whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. I wonder if that rings any bells for you. Any other part of scripture? Go on, get some brownie points. Yeah, all right, I'll get them for myself. Go back to Genesis. No, you don't count. All right, okay, Genesis 12. Genesis 12, flick back there. It's about page 10 or something like that of your Bible. Uh, where God had chosen Abraham, who was an old bloke living in a tent. And, uh, and he made some promises to Abraham. There's the beginning of the people of God. Um, uh, look at uh, chapter 12 verse 1 the Lord said to Abram it's before he's renamed Abraham go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you this is a land that camped on the doorstop of in Moab to the land that I will show you and I'll make of you a great nation who's going to do this I will make you a great nation I will bless you and make your name great so that you'll be a blessing and listen to this I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So do you see? Here is Balaam. Whoever Balaam curses is cursed, apparently. And whoever blesses is blessed. So so who does the blessing here? Is it God or is it Balaam? Who does the cursing? I'm going to find out. That's what this passage, uh, this story is going to answer. Uh, So let's jump into it. uh, here's, we, and then we're going to go a bit quickly here because we've got a lot to move over. What, what follows is, is Balak going to Balaam and, and sort of trying to get his help and he sends a couple of delegations and the first one gets knocked back. And so Balak's like, oh, he needs more money and he needs more nobles and uh, he manages to get him to come. And you kind of read through this section and this is your homework and you could be forgiven for thinking that Balaam is some sort of righteous person. He's a good guy. God speaks to him and he refers to God as the Lord and you think, oh, so maybe you know, God's kind of blessing this guy and working through him, what's going on. But we have a verdict in 2 Peter where Balaam is evil. He's a manipulator, a manipulator of God for selfish purposes. And uh, there's just a little lesson for us there. So we look on the outside and we go, okay, it looks like he's a good guy, but God knows the heart. And we're going to see as we go through the, through the passage the way God responds to him he knows his motivations. Uh, this is why he deals with uh, Balak, uh, Balaam the way he does in what comes next. Um, let's go to 22. Uh, and you might know this famous story. And I just want to read through it because it's a bit of literature and we're meant to read it in a certain way and respond to it in a certain way. 
because there's something being conveyed here. Uh, because Balaam goes with Balak's blokes, and here's what we read in verse 22. But God's anger was kindled because he went, and the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as his adversary. Now he was riding on the donkey and his two servants were with him and the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand. And the donkey turned aside out of the road and went into the field. And Balaam struck the donkey to turn her into the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in the narrow path between the vineyards with the wall either side. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pushed against the wall and pressed Balaam's foot against the wall. And so he struck her again. And then the angel of the Lord went ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn, either to the right or the left. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam. And Balaam's anger was kindled and he struck the donkey with his staff. And you see, because God knows the heart and because God knows Balaam's greedy motives, he's angry with him. And three times the donkey sees and turns off the path. And three times Balaam bashes into the donkey with his stick. Right? And what you're meant to see here is the irony. What's going on? A seer can't see. And an animal that's renowned as being the dumbest of the animals can see. Right? Who gives sight? It's God who gives sight. So who's manipulating who here? Who's in control? It's God who's in control. And what happens next underlines this, underlines this. Have a look at verse 28. The donkey demands to know what he's done to deserve the beating. Right? And the Lord opens the mouth of the donkey to say, look, I'm not the problem here. What's the problem? Have a look at verse 30, 31. 22 verse 31. Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam. The Lord opened the eyes of Balaam. And he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand, and he bowed down and fell on his face. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I've come out to oppose you because your way is perverse before me. The donkey saw me and turned aside before me these three times. If she had not turned aside from me, surely just now I would have killed you and let you live. Let her live. And Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I did not know that you stood in the road against me. Now, therefore, if it is evil in your sight, I will turn back. And the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, go with the men, and here it is, but speak only the word that I tell you. In other words, Balaam wasn't going to speak the word uh, that was given to him by God. Balaam was going to speak words that Balak wanted to hear. Balaam was going to speak words that suited him and a prophet. It's a monetary prophet, not a Bible kind of prophet. So he speaks words that fit his audience. Friends, it's a good lesson for us. Uh, we're in the middle of something in Anglicanism. I don't know if you read the media. Over the last few days, um, uh, the regional archbishop, Glenn Davies, down in Sydney, they've just had their synod, much like we had ours three weeks ago. And... Um, in his presidential address spoke about the same-sex marriage issue and the actions of a number of bishops around the country over recent months to endorse same-sex marriage. And uh, he's been bashed from pillar to post 
in the media about that. And uh, I don't know if you've seen that. And, and what is Glenn Davies' response? I can only speak the words that God has given me to speak. My job is not to fit the culture and to make you comfortable out there. My job is not to make myself comfortable. I submit to the authority of God's word. And so it is for us. So look at verse 38. Behold, I've come to you. Have I now any power of my own to speak anything? The word that God puts in my mouth that I must speak. Exactly what Jesus said. All that the Father gives me, I give to you. And so it is for us. So, Balaam starts speaking. Four oracles he gives. And uh, Balak's kind of hanging in there. He's like, oh, maybe he'll bless me after all. Maybe God will be good. Or, you know, what's going on? And so he kind of hangs in there, keeps Balaam speaking. Uh, we're just going to skim over this. Look at verse 8. It's in the first oracle. Uh, sorry, this is in chapter 23. So look at verse 8 there. Uh, how can I curse whom God has not cursed? How can I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? Or go to the second oracle. Verse 18 is not working out well for Balak. Um, this one builds on the first one. Uh, see, why can't Israel be, cur be cursed? Look at verse 19. God is not man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? Behold, I received a command to blessed. He has blessed and I cannot revoke it. So there's no cursing for the people of God when he's blessed them. There is no cursing for the people of God when he has blessed them. And so uh, 23, uh, 25, Balak changes tack. All right, I've heard enough. Just shut up. Maybe if you don't speak, that'll be better. Uh, Balaam says, oh, it's out of my hands, man. I've got to keep speaking. And so there's a third oracle. And uh, Balaam looks ahead and sees a strong and secure uh, Israel. And again, 24 verse 9, this is in the third oracle. There's this echo of Genesis 12 that we went back to a little while ago. Blessed are those who bless you and cursed are those who curse you. And so in the end, Balak gets nothing. He gets no comfort from Balaam. And um, somehow I don't think Balaam got his cash either. He just went on his way. Now, what do we get out of this story? A couple of good questions to ask. Uh, when you're reading a passage like this, what do we learn about God and what do we learn about ourselves? Where are we in this story? Let's pick up a few quick points about God. Uh, what do we learn here? He's a speaking God. He's a speaking God. Uh, very easy to be distracted by the donkey factor here. Um, anyone old enough or old school enough to remember Mr. Ed? He had a lot of grey hair here. That's a bit of a <laughs> It was this old show, uh, 1960s. It's like a talking horse. It's not Skippy, you dope. Anyway, as this guy had a talking horse, he had to keep it, and they used to put peanut butter in its mouth and make it move its mouth. Anyway, uh, it was kids' television when I was young, man. It was rubbish. You guys, anyway. Okay. Um, the talking horse fact, you're like, ah, that's, that's, that's a bit distracting. But it's actually not a big deal. Don't be too distracted by it. The God of the universe who flung stars into space, right, who formed you out of the dust of the ground and breathed life into you. If he wants to make a donkey speak to show up the foolishness of Balaam, he can do it. 
Okay, just get your doctrine of God right, and that sort of thing is no problem. The big deal here is that he speaks. He opens the eyes of Balaam uh, so that, now he's a speaking God. What does he do to Balaam? He reveals himself so Balaam can know him and so he can repent. And you might say, oh, gee, I wish he'd he'd give me a talking donkey Uh, or, or, you know, words in the sky or just speak to me, you know, just nice, clear, audible words beside my head or something like that. Friends, he's done better. In these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. You have the living and active word of God, uh, the sword of the spirit open on your lap right now, right now. He's the speaking God who speaks so that you can know him And you can respond to him as you should. Never take that lightly. Uh, Secondly, we learn here he's a faithful God. James 1 says there's no variation or shadow due to change with God. It doesn't change. He's utterly consistent. We can trust what God says. That's what Balaam's saying. If he's blessed, I can't revoke it. Because he said it, it's done, it's irrevocable. Nothing Balak paid could change that. God is faithful. What's more, thirdly, he's powerful, he's in control, he rules. So not only is he faithful to his word, he's got the power to carry it out. A people that covers the face of the earth has rocked up on the plains of Moab after everything that's happened. You know, you've got an old bloke in a tent. Abraham, mate, go for a wander. And he does. And he said, mate, you're going to have kids. He said, I'm too old. And, and here we are, generations later, and they're covering the face of the earth, so to speak, on the plains of Moab. God is faithful. He's got the power to carry it out against all expectation. Now, where are you in this story? What do we learn about ourselves? Now, if you're a Christian, you go, okay, look, where are the people of God here? You know, under the new covenant, we're looking at the old covenant. Where are the people of God here? Well, that's Israel. Uh, you're kind of not in the story. Well, you are, but you're down on the plains of Moab, just in the background, aren't you? And, and, and you're fickle and rebellious and kind of hopeless and it's all happening up on the hill and you don't know a thing about it. God's acting and keeping God's people safe and he is in control and you're there going, oh, I just don't know anything that's going on. God is providential. He's looking after things. It's very hidden from you a lot of the time. And yet he's good, he's faithful, he's powerful, he's keeping his promises. Even if you don't see it. You know that footprints thing? You know, you see in the poster... Uh, you know, you go down to Kurong, there's probably 19 different, you know, versions of it. You can buy a stick on your wall or it's a magnet on your fridge and all the rest of it. Like a guy's having a dream, he's looking back in his life and uh, it's like he's walked along a beach and there's footprints and he's like, oh, Jesus, look, there's two sets of footprints, that's where you're walking beside me. And, and then, hey, why is it only one set of footprints? Jesus is like, oh, that's where I carried you. And this is kind of like the version where there's a big gouge in the sand. Have you seen that one? And it's like, hey, Jesus, why is there a big gouge in the sand? Yeah, that's when I dragged you kicking and screaming, <laughs> right? So what did we learn? God's people are a people under promise. This is in the words of Romans 8.30. Those whom he predestined, he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Who does it? He does it. He does it. He does it all. 
And so listen to the words of Jesus in John chapter 10, verse 27, if you're taking notes. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. Meditate on these words. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who's given them to me, my father who's given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hands. What does this mean? If you put your trust in Jesus, if you keep repenting of your sins, walking with him, you'll never lose his blessing. You'll never lose his blessing. The Father is greater than all. No one can snatch you out of his hand. That's his promise. Now, how has that been made possible? Uh, just come back into the fourth oracle. We're in Numbers 24. I'm going to look at verse 17. Uh, Balaam's kind of speaking about the current, then he's speaking about the near future. Now he's looking way into the future. 24 verse 17. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob and a scepter, which is like a, a symbol of rule. A scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheth. Do you hear that Balaam's there going, oh man, that's not what I wanted to hear. <laughs> he wanted to hear words of blessing, he just heard words of cursing. So what's he, what's he talking about? What does he see? He sees the coming king. He sees the coming king. The one who rules not only over Israel, but the whole world. The one through whom all the nations are blessed. Just like in the promises to Abraham. Uh, now we're going to turn, page 1030, all the way back up into Revelation. You're going, what was that reading about? Here it is. Page 1030. What does Balak see? Balaam see? He sees the coming king. He sees the star of Jacob. He sees a scepter. Who's he seeing? In Revelation 5, John is seeing his vision. And uh, there's these scrolls. There's the scrolls of God's judgment and salvation, the unfolding of his kingdom and its completion. And there's weeping because no one can open the scroll. No one can break the seals on it. But then there's verse 5. Have a look. Revelation 5 verse 5. One of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven sealed. How's the king conquered? How's the star ruling? Well, look at verse 6. Between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. This is the one that can break the seals. This is the one that completes the kingdom. When John saw Jesus coming at his baptism, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world who walks all the way to the cross, who takes 
the list of your transgressions and sins and nails them there to the cross and takes them away from you. You receive the blessing of forgiveness and life in a way that can never spoil, fade or perish. It can never be taken away. So what does Ephesians 1, chapter 1 say? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, that is the one who never changes, who has blessed, not cursed us, in Christ with spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be, because of Jesus' blood, holy and blameless before him. So what do you fear? What are your fears in life? What are the curses that you feel hanging over you? Let the perfect love of God in Jesus, the star of Jacob, drive out your fears. Let that secure you in the blessing of forgiveness and life forever with him. Uh, Friends, we're going to sing. The song is, O Great God of Highest Heaven. Listen to the prayer. Occupy my lowly heart, own it all, and reign supreme. Do you mean it as you sing it?